Welcome to the Movie Crew Podcast. This week we're discussing George Miller's 1982 post-apocalyptic action film, The Road Warrior. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. I'll buy that for a dollar! Welcome to the party, pal! Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? Man's got to know his limitations. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. Let's put a smile on that face. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like... Victory. This sort of thing has cropped up before. And it has always been due to human error. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. This is Jeremy. Yo. And this week we're discussing The Road Warrior, or Mad Max 2, as the rest of the world that is not the United States knows it. This, that's an interesting story. Why don't you... You just told me, so tell them. Originally, this was Mad Max 2. The first Mad Max movie didn't really do that well in the theater. It was shown. It was mostly a drive-in kind of thing. In the U.S. Yeah, it yeah, did in well the U.S. In, in the rest of the movie-going world, right? Yeah, yeah, it cleaned up really good in Australia. George Miller was able to get bigger budget and financing for Mad Max 2. He made the movie, and Warner Brothers bought it. But when they bought it, they realized that nobody's going to see Mad Max 2 because nobody saw Mad Max 1. So they changed the title to... The Road Warrior, which turned out to be a genius move because a lot of people saw this movie. I think it made like $25 million domestically. And 1982 was not chump change. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. It's not like today where you can have a billion-dollar movie. No, no, you didn't have billion-dollar films then. <laughs> that didn't exist. Uh, like all those people that see Jurassic Park made a billion dollars. Actually, in its original run, only made like 900-some. So I think the first movie to ever make a billion dollars was Titanic. I mean, that's even... That's 97. Yeah, it's like 16 years later. Yeah. If my math is correct. Yeah. Basic math here is a problem. You know what? We'll, we'll flow with it for now. I'm not going to check it because I'm too lazy. But, you know, Vincent, I do appreciate, you know, uh, how you came in today with your assless chaps and your mohawk. You know, it's, it's a good look. Look, I'll be honest. Like... Growing up, I never latched on. Like, we did um, Escape from New York a couple of weeks ago. Yes, we did. I never latched on as a kid to the post punk post-apocalyptic movies. I don't know why. It's nothing against the movies. It's like, I, when I watch them, I enjoy them. But, I mean, as a kid, they just, I just didn't latch on to it. Like, it wasn't something like The Terminator that I watched it and had to dress up and play and make Terminator movies. And I, it just didn't click with me as a kid so yeah i've never really understood the whole punk like even while we were watching the movie i I couldn't help but make a little jab at if it's the end of the it's apocalypse you're fighting over gasoline why take the time to dye your hair red and shave your head for a mohawk you know dude it's like uh or the little kid that obviously gets up every morning and teases his hair up into a big mullet you know, dude, it was just, uh, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. It is, you know, it's one of those things you don't, it's, I don't question I, it cause it's so weird. It's nothing against the movie. It's just something that never, I never as a kid latched onto. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching the movie and I, I found it really interesting to me. It was like, it was like watching the, the, you know, there's a big comic book movie fad right now. This is like the granddaddy of them to me. Well, other than Superman. It's kind of interesting that you brought up the Terminator when you're you're talking about that because I do feel like James Cameron like watched he saw this film obviously 
that truck sequence at the end of Terminator, eh, he definitely saw the Road Warrior, or oh, at least I mean, Mad Max. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think this film it, it influenced a lot of people for sure. I definitely a think it was filmmakers. interesting that like two of the best truck scenes ever came out in the same year with Raiders of the Lost Ark and now Road Warriors. If you look at IMDb, it does say 1981. That's because it got released in Australia at that time. It didn't come over here to 82. And the movie uh, Ra- Raiders, or now it's retitled as Indiana Jones and the Raiders oh, of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hey, I've got a little side story. Um, oh. Side story. About Raiders? Yeah, about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, used to work at an ad agency. And the guy I worked with, Bob, his actual name is Bob. I'm not just giving him a fake name. Um, <laughs> this is a real Bob. This is a real Bob. This okay. is not our standard. I'm going to name him Bob. Um, the first time he ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, he thought he was going to a documentary. Um, his Why? girlfriend at the time had said, I want to go see this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Or maybe it was his buddy or something. He, for Somehow he had missed the advertising. He didn't know what it was about. He thought it was a documentary about going to look for the Lost Ark of the Covenant. So he said he was he was thoroughly confused there for a minute, and then it finally dawned on him, oh, this is a narrative feature. So I think he enjoyed it a lot more than he probably would have. Well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad he enjoyed uh, more than a documentary about people <laughs> that may may find something. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool that he, he goes to this movie thinking, well, I'll go see this documentary about this archaeologist trying to find the Ark of the Covenant and sees one of the best movies ever made. Ah, uh, that is such a good film. I enjoy that as an adult, as well as when I was younger. Yeah. That's a good one. You know, one thing I, I guess I appreciate more about the Road Warrior than I do Raiders. Like, Raiders, they had a lot of those, like, they had a lot of match shots and things. like Everything you see in the Road Warrior, though, that's stuff that is actually done. There are no match shots. This is real vehicular manslaughter going on. Yeah, when you watch that, I mean, there's some sped up footage. When you watch that, uh, that truck sequence and a lot of the stunts in this movie, you're just like, man. Especially nowadays, when you're we're so used to seeing like fake CGI and yeah. stuffs flying around, and it's you're all like, that's impossible. You're seeing this stuff happen, so there's never that moment of, oh, that's impossible, because you just saw it happen, and you can tell that it was photographed. It happened. And yeah, there's some smart edits, and there's some stuff that you can tell they, they piece together by the edit. But Absolutely. At the same time, you're also seeing an 18-wheeler flip. You know, it's like in The Dark Knight when the 18-wheeler flips. It's like, and you know, you, you say like, oh, well, there's this 18-wheeler that flips. But when you see it, because it's photographed in IMAX, it's just so like, oh, like holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, well, to put this in perspective of that, too, they, they digitally removed cables. And right, safety. Right. I was reading somewhere that the guy, the stunt driver that do, that does the big eighteen wheeler flip over at the end of the film, this guy couldn't eat anything for like twenty four hours because they were worried that they were gonna have to rush him to surgery. Like it was a for real possibility. Like, dude, don't eat anything. This could be bad. It makes you wonder if they could have even made that movie in the United States. I mean, there were unions and there were safety. You know, I I don't know if in Hollywood you would have been able to. Yeah, I don't think they had that in Australia. And if they did, like, I don't think this film was big enough to... Yeah, I think, it, I think it sort of just slid right under that safety radar. Yeah, I don't think they really cared about... I mean, obviously they cared about it, but I Yeah, don't... I mean, they told the guy not to eat. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were definitely... They cared. It wasn't <laughs> going to stop them. <laughs> I mean, it was way bigger budget than 
than the first Mad Max. The reason we're kind of skipping over Mad Max is Mad Max is not really my favorite film. It's very low budget. Now, see, my memory is kind of boring. I have no idea what happens in Mad Max. I his wife and kid get killed by a gang. I remember. That is crazy. Man, I remember my dad like, oh, you got to watch this. This is Mad Max, and this is the Road Warrior Part Mad Max Part Two. For years, I couldn't remember which one came first, like Road Warrior or Mad Max. And it wasn't until you know you the other day we sat down and watched Road Warrior to do this podcast. That was probably the first time I saw it since I was like eight. What do you think now as an adult? Like having having seen it with some time. No, I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Still, I mean, it had the you know whole punk rock. Like, why Why were people envisioning if the world goes to hell and you're fighting over gasoline, people will look like punk rockers? I always looked at it as like they're just taking scraps of whatever they can find. Which obviously, sports stores and S M M clothes. Man, those places are. That's where you get your clothing from. And you know, like this story very much feels like a, a western story. Like, yeah, it's got western. It, it's it's basically a cowboy story. They even do the 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 good guys are in white football pads, and the bad guys are in black football pads. And you know who my favorite character in the whole movie was? The guy with the helicopter. Oh, the gyrocopter guy. Yes. Yeah. You first meet him, you think he's like. He's like maybe a bad guy. He's maybe crazy. He's hiding for some reason. He's hiding in a hole, and he's got these snakes that he's trained throughout the movie. He becomes like a very endearing character. Like he's the one that doesn't leave people behind and saves the day a couple times. Well, he was trying to. He was trying to. He was trying to run off with that little blonde, but he didn't. And That's because she stayed. When Mel Gibson found himself in, after he had basically told the guy to go fuck yourself. And left. Who saved his life? But dude, that's because they were partners, man. They were partners. Well, that's what I'm saying. He was more loyal than Mel Gibson was. It was he was a cool character. That actor's uh, Bruce Spence. I always like him. Um, I, I just thought it was a fun character. He he brought a lot of laughs and uh, heart to the film. Fuel, gasoline, thousands of gallons of as much as you want. Where? No, no. Where? Uh, Twenty miles from here. Permanent they are. Refining. A huge tanker full. Crap. No, 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 no. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's not self-service. No, no. It's too hard for me. But a man of your ingenuity. Where? 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 Kill me and you'll never find out. The resemblance between Lord Humongous and uh, Jason Voorhees. This is like the S&M version of Jason. It's like the roided out version of freaking... The dude's so ripped. I wonder if the producers from Friday the 13th didn't see this movie and go... We're going to make Jason look like that. Well, I mean, yeah, this one came out Yeah, before he got to the hockey mask. He gets his hockey mask in part three. three. Yeah. I'm wondering if they didn't see this and go, right on, we're putting a hockey mask on Jason. I mean, he's even got like the splotchy hair going in the back. Yeah. I mean, it's very much S&M Jason. Yeah, it is. Oh, I like his veins, too. There's that one shot where like he's holding like the, the mohawk guy, Wes. And he's like holding him, he's like, calm down. You're still my dog of war. I understand your pain. We all are someone we love. But we do it my way. Moses, wait. We do it my way. Fear is our ally. The gasoline will be ours. I bet his backstory is that he was killed in a lake 
and he came back, and now he takes over the world and steals gasoline to get revenge for people killing him in the lake. That's possible. I was actually reading somewhere there was a there's a character in the first movie called Goose that uh, no, this is not not not, not Top Gun Goose, the different Goose. Uh, that's a partner of Mad Max in the first movie, and he ends up getting like horribly burned. And they originally, I think, were deciding to use that character to carry over as being Lord Humongous. Like, that, that was his transformation. Ah. But this movie was shot without a script, so they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants on what worked, and there's a bunch of things that got cut out of the movie. It's one of the first movies with a uh, homosexual couple in the early 80s, which was very unseen. Oh, I must have missed that. A Wes, the main guy, he's got yeah. the blonde guy that's always holding him. I thought that was a chick. No, that's a guy. I thought that was just a really ugly chick. No, he's even got like holes cut out for his nipples. You can see he's a dude. Yeah, that's a that's a guy. Oh, okay. But it turned out that that was not actually the idea behind that. This was actually a boy that he found. It's like his adopted son, but that got completely removed from the movie when they were shooting it. Ah, okay. And they shot this film in order too, and like in sequence order. Just trying f- to figure out what to happen next. It's, I don't know. It sounds like that's what George Miller does on these Mad Max movies. I mean. I haven't read much about the third one because, you know. That's Thunderdome, right? Yeah, that's Thunderdome. I know that's the one that is like in the pop zeitgeist that everybody knows. You know, two men enter, one man leave. Uh, what's the other quote in there that's uh, break the I, deal, I, spin the wheel? Or I think that like may that. have been the movie that made me like completely not interested in ever watching Yeah. Warrior again. Well, that's the one with like Master Blaster. With Tina the old, Turner. Yeah, the small old man's like riding the... What's a PC word for retarded? Uh, <laughs> the guy with Down syndrome. Slow. The, yeah, the, the big slow. Special. Mentally and physically challenged. There we go. Everyone's like... Score. Ignorant fuck. Like, between the first movie, the first film is set up in, like, this apocalyptic environment, or this dystopia, but it hasn't gone to shit like it does in this... Like, this movie, it's just everything is a wasteland. And that people that aren't on the road finding gasoline are just getting hunt down and scavenged from. And then this film, it opens up with like a little monologue. Some riots happen, and then we all are all about gasoline. I'm guessing it's sort of like gold in this environment. Oh, yeah. Like, it's very... Because you're not refining it anymore, so what there is is what there is. Well, uh, well no, they have because they have an oil. But is it working? Yeah, well, they, it has I mean, to, they right? talk about, you know, the tanks, but they're not worried about saving the refinery they're just talking about stealing the tank or taking the tank that they show the uh the the pump constantly in the background in their little fortress of solitude moving yeah it's always moving Uh, i don't know i mean you've seen this movie more than i have i yeah i just always assumed that they were like that's what they were doing they were pumping the gas then why would they blow it up well because they wanted to get away to their uh promised land that was like a total fucking dream like i felt so sorry for these people because this old man in the movie he's like yeah we're gonna go here and he starts showing postcards and you're like dude you know that shit don't exist anymore right yeah it's like uh uh travel brochures you have to come sonny this is where we're going paradise two thousand miles from here fresh water plenty of sunshine nothing to do but breathe i mean mel gibson's like dick in this movie man like he's just a fucking asshole that's out for himself doesn't give a shit about anyone else and he kind of sees that and he's just like all right well i need my gas i need to get the fuck out of here because <laughs> all car. of you people are dying i need my car and my gas that's the deal i mean yeah that's an odd scene to me like 
the way it sh- the way it looks is he leaves the compound, drives straight towards the bad guys. They try to kill him, blow up his car, kill his dog, and then he f- he's flown back to the compound. I'm like, why didn't you go the other way? That's the direction they've been coming from every day to give the ultimatum. There's even the shot when he's leaving, like at night, of like their campfires and stuff. Well, you know, you just got to go with the film, brother. <laughs> I went with it and I enjoyed it. I thought it was an amazing. I guess he just always, I guess maybe assumed that he's just like, well, they're gonna they're gonna see me leave anyway, and they're gonna chase me down. And I'll fuck them up on the way out. I didn't know if I was missing something like. He's trying to like pull them away to give those guys time to like get out. Or oh something. no, he is definitely not worried about those fuckers at all. But no, he just he lost his car. Poor guy. Did he have that car in the first one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he gets man. it at the at the end of the of the first movie. It's okay though. It's it's in the third one as well. It's been a while since I've seen. He's that got one. long hair in the third one too, right? Yeah, but he cuts it because you know it was the eighties. You can't have your man have long hair, you know, until like. When did Lethal Weapon come out? That's why I, I know it was cool. Gibson was rocking it then. He was rocking the mullet then. I know this is not PC to say. This is the un-PC show. I kind of miss Gibson. All right. Yeah, I guess we got to talk about the elephant in the room, man. All right. So, yeah, Mel Gibson has done some horrible things personally, personal life for, uh, I don't know when that happened, but when he called the woman sugar tits and started talking about Jews. Yeah, he's got this, uh, yeah. Ruining the world. And then, uh, yeah, some- I mean, I, I can, you know, on one hand, I can say, like, and I defy anybody that's listening to this to say that if you, every conversation you were had was recorded and played for the world, you wouldn't have a couple of moments of, ah, fuck, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Yeah. Gibson went a little overboard with the, yeah. I mean, when I say a little overboard, it's kind of like driving a tank over the board. <laughs> I guess he got so fucking rich off that Passion of the Christ money. He just kind of went a little crazy, but Watch that. Right. fuck, dude, I still love his movies, man. He, this motherfucker is a movie star. Oh, like, yeah. I grew up with Mel Gibson. I mean, that's what I was just saying is like, just seeing him on screen younger was just like, I kind of miss seeing him around. I do. Um, I totally miss seeing Mel Gibson around. Like fucking Braveheart. Oh, dude, Braveheart, the Lethal Weapon films. Yeah. Bird on a Wire. Wait, what? Uh, okay, scratch that one. Um... <laughs> And I think, you know, Mel Gibson has natural on-screen. Yes. I mean, he, he just, when he's on, on screen, he knows what to do. He's, I hate that... Why'd you have to be a dick, Mel? We can't give him a second chance or third, fourth chance. Is it a fourth chance now? I don't know how many... I, don't, I know I, Jodie Foster put him in that movie, and she was like, okay, I'm going to give him a shot, guys, and then the movie bombed. Nobody went to see it. Yeah, he was in Get the Gringo. I saw that on Netflix. It's, it's like Expendables? Payback. They put him in that? Yeah, he was in the third Expendables movie. That didn't do too well. I think that's the first movie he's been in the nationwide theatrical release in a long time. Oh, wait, he was in Machete Kills, but nobody saw that in the theater. Oh, he was in that Jodie Foster-directed movie. Yeah, that didn't, I don't think that got a big national release. I just remember it? seeing the poster at Paradiso. Parentheses here, that's a local theater that we like to go to because it's got the best screen in town. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately... Yeah, we're we're not blessed with an IMAX here. No, we're not. We will actually, on certain IMAX releases, drive three hours to Nashville. Well, it's three and a half hours to Nashville. Yeah, it is three and a half. 
I'm glad you finally admit that, because I'm tired of missing the first 30 minutes of movies. Whatever, man. If motherfuckers <laughs> would stop getting me fucking lost. Like, okay, we're going to Nashville, and like, I don't like looking at my phone and driving in fucking interstate traffic, so I give my phone to somebody else to read me fucking directions. That was not me. I was sitting in the back going, you're going the wrong way. If you're if you're the navigator, all I'm saying... I wasn't the navigator. John Paul was the navigator. Or Bob saying. Bob was the navigator. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. If somebody gives you a phone, if you accept gonna, that I'm, responsibility... I'm going to throw out some mad props right now to Verizon's VZ Navigator. By far the best navigation system I've, I have found. And it has yet, it has yet, I have to travel all over and some pretty pretty obscure places if mad max had a vz navigator he would have had a lot better time he would not have run into lord humongous because it would have told him avoid lord humongous this episode of the movie crew podcast is brought to you by verizon verizon (laughs) so let me ask you you're a fan of the movie you grew up watching the movie Um, yeah yeah i mean this is like a part of your cinematic history Seeing the advertisements for Fury Road, how do you how do you feel? Like, are you excited? Are you? Oh man, dude, I'm so pumped for Fury Road, man. So I'm I'm out of does this it world. Feel like, does it feel like it's part of the same world as Road Warrior? Oh hell yeah, dude! You see those shots in the trailers where uh, what's his name, Nick? Uh, I forget the guy, but he's like all crazy, made up. The actor, and he's like, oh, what a lovely day! And it's been just like, all right, yeah, that's 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 the Road Warrior, man. Yeah. All right, I'm there, and the fucking visuals are great. I don't know what the the story of the film is. I don't even care what the story of the film is. It was probably somebody who has some gas, and <laughs> it would have been kind of interesting to see what would have happened if if old Mel Gibson had taken up the Road Warrior Mad Max persona. I wonder if he passed on it, or if the studio was like, Fuck, I'm no. pretty sure they're just like, just do a young guy. Because I, I think he's. I, I... I was reading somewhere that after he, he said this was in production for 12 years. After Crystal Skull, they probably went, okay, we'll just put somebody else in. Well, you know what? I'll take fucking Harrison Ford doing what the fuck ever over Shia LaBeouf, man. When he almost grabbed that hat, I almost cried. <laughs> I almost fucking cried, dude. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to cry my fucking that popcorn, is, bro. That, that is such a weird movie, like... Ah, it just messes with my brain. All right, all right, we can't talk about that. We're talking about good, good movies here. A part of me, though, does wish that, like, this had come out, like, five years ago, or however long ago that Mel Gibson would have been, like, still a star. Yeah, like, 11 years ago, right before, right after uh, Passion of the Christ. Oh, my God, Passion, oh, man, fuck, I'm getting old, dude. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it had to be 11 or 12 years ago, because Chris and I had just started dating, my wife. And that was like the first movie Rusty and I went to. Wow. I had dental surgery that morning and was like, well, I'll go. And I'm like high on painkillers. I was, I left the movie being like, I don't get it. It didn't seem that violent to me. My mouth hurts. And they were all just like shocked. Whatever, that movie should have been renamed The Beating of Jesus. <laughs> That's, what it should have been. That's what it was, man. It's just like, come see Jesus. Get his ass kicked. By Jews. A film by Mel Gibson. <laughs> right. <laughs> Watch these Jews kick his ass. And then we're all like, wait, Mel Gibson hates Jews? We should the writing was on the wall, goddammit. And we're all like, wow, it seems like that was out of left field. All his bigotry aside, I I I still like him as an actor. Uh, and yeah. director. I, like, like, I still like him on screen. His directing efforts have been really good too. In the future. Cities will become deserts. Roads.
lives will become battlefields. And the hope of mankind will appear as a stranger. Mel Gibson is the road warrior. Okay, he runs into this guy who has a helicopter. Mel Gibson and his newly acquired partner that he puts in handcuffs, dude with the helicopter and the snakes, um, they go to this place that has gas. The people that have the gas make a deal. Mel Gibson, he'll go get this truck that can haul the tankers. Then Mel Gibson can have some gas for his car, have his car back, and go on his own way. He goes, gets the truck, brings it back for him, Decides to go. He ends up getting blown up. They go get him. Helicopter guy brings him back. And they leave the refinery. And huge chase scene as they're heading off into paradise. The movie is narrated by a narrator who you find out is the feral little kid that wants to be Mel Gibson's best friend. He ends up becoming the leader of the Great Northern Tribe. That first scene with the, uh, the chase and how that opens up. Like, right after he takes the two guys out and the Wes character, he gets shot in the arm, and then, like, the first thing Mel's doing is getting the gas. And I really like, like, after he gets the gas and Wes is, like, screaming at him and pulling his arrow out, and he takes off. There's this really weird, like, kind of horror moment that's thrown in the middle of this movie where you get to see, like, how fucked up this world is. There's this huge 18-wheeler he steals later in the movie, and then there's another little car beside it. And this little child's hand reaches out and there's this horrible like scream noise and then like max is just like just like it, it, it comes across to me as if his i mean get me wrong i haven't i have not seen mad max so he lost his family so now he is like completely detached himself from humanity yeah pretty much and basically he just wants to ride around with him and his dog and really i guess he doesn't have much of a goal other than being a drifter He's, he wants to leave the compound, and the guy's right. like, what are you doing out there? You're just going to live day to day? What is it with you? Huh? What are you looking for? Come on, Max, everyone's looking for something. You're happy out there, are you? Hey, wandering? One day blurring into another? You're a scavenger, Max. You're a maggot. You know that? You're living off the corpse of the old world. Tell me your story, Max. Come on, tell me your story. What burns you out, huh? Kill one man too many? See too many people die? Lose some family? What's that? You lost some family. You make you something special, does it? Feels that his life is over, so his only purpose in existence is to just make it from the next day to the next day. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the the biggest complaint I hear about this film is like after he, he leaves with that gas and he goes and he crashes, everyone's always like, well, why, why does he have the change of heart? Because they killed his dog. He wants to kill them. They killed his dog. They fucked his car up. Here's a question for you. He offers to drive the tanker. And then at the end, after the crazy-ass chase scene, you find out that the tanker is a decoy. It's full of dirt. They really got away with all the gas on the school bus. Yeah, with everybody Did else. Did Mel Gibson know that he was driving a decoy? Or at the end, did Mad Max get kind of backstabbed? He thought he was driving the gasoline and find out he was just the decoy and they all left him. I always kind of read it that like the people that went on the tanker knew that shit was a suicide mission. And he sees the dirt. 
He he looks he looks surprised when he sees that. And that's what made me think and like he puts his hand I under think it. they sent him out on a sacrificial mission and he finally got it at that moment and that's the reason he doesn't go join up with the colony. That's the way I read it. I'm not oh, saying Oh wow. Oh, I never thought of that. I'm not saying that that's the way it is, but No, I never I never read it that way. That's an interesting point though. Um cuz like you said like it's obviously a suicide mission. That's the the truck they're all going to go after. Everybody else on that truck except for the little kid dies, but that's because Mel Mel Gibson saves him. And then when he looks at that dirt coming out, there's just a moment where he looks very like this is the reason I don't get around people. Like he was betrayed and you know, it mentions we don't, you know, he he that was the last we ever saw him. Yeah, I never read it that way. I always just was like, you know, he didn't he he doesn't want to be he would rather be by himself and isolated than with a group like that. Well, see, I read it as that when like he that comes Shane out character. after getting his car wrecked, that he realized at that point he can't live by himself, that he's going to eventually get killed, and this is a society that's offering to take him in. And then at the end, he's burned and realizes that they were just trying, they were setting him up to kill, to die. What? Dude, that's a, I've... I don't think I've ever heard that theory or ever even thought about that, to be honest with you. That's, that's food for thought that I'm going to have to think about next time I watch it. Because Really? Because well, that, that's like the part that made it really kind of like heartbreaking at the end. I was like, oh, man. No, see, I always, read it, I always read it like he just, like they, he wanted a little bit of revenge for the dog and the car. And then he was just like, well, you know, fuck it. What else am I going to do? And he kind of always has like a... He's got a little bit of a death wish, as it is. No pun intended, Charles Bronson. Um, <laughs> I know, that was so nerdy. I just figured he didn't want to go with those people, and if he stays there, they're going to kill him anyway. So he's like, fuck it, I'm just going to kill as many of you as I can. Yeah, see, I totally took it that when he woke up, and he had the, you know, he kept seeing the partner. I can't remember the helicopter dude's name. Well, that's um, because uh, he doesn't have a name. In the uh, credits, he was listed as uh, the gyro captain. Well, gyro captain. <laughs> you know, he's leaning down, and he says stuff, and then Mel Gibson kind of wakes up, and he walks out, and then volunteers to drive the the tanker. I took it as, like, almost that he was surprised that they came back for him. After he was left, you know, pretty much to die, and then he left them pretty much in an asshole-type move of, I got my gas, let me go. I totally thought, like, he was offering to join there join their group, and then at the end, when I saw the dirt, I was like, oh, he, they just sent him out to get killed. That sucks. I'll watch the film again and, and watch that with that in mind. That's, that's interesting. No, let me know if I'm just crazy, because that was the way, that's totally the way I took it. Not to say that it Everything was like, that you're saying makes sense. Like, I can't, I can't poke holes in it, you know what I mean? You know, not saying that there was ever a moment where he was like, oh, you betrayed me. It was just a subtle little... I get it. Max's costume in this, everything that actually exists on his, well, not everything, but most of the things that are on his costume are from the first movie. Like the, the outfit he wears is his crazy leather policeman getup. And the reason he's missing an arm sleeve is his arm got run over by a motorcycle in the first movie and they shot his kneecap out. And if you look in the movie, he's kind of always, he's always got has, a knee brace. Yeah, he's got a knee brace and a little bit of a limp. I, I wonder just, if they'll carry that over in Fury Road. I don't know. Well, I don't. I don't even know if they carried that over really all that well in uh, the third one. Yeah, 
So I I always like when they they do little tie-ins like that, and it just like especially know, it's like, if it's a series of the same character. Yeah, and it's just like all right, we get to see. And I like the the gray touches in his hair, like because Mel Gibson was like twenty four. Oh yeah. When they made this movie, like surprisingly, not used to seeing him that young. Yeah, and they aged him up quite a quite a bit for the for this film. As far as the the series, you're not a fan of the first one. Um, I'm not the it's I'm not the biggest fan of it. What's different about the first one that you don't care for, but you like the second one? Other than like Star Wars, I can't think of a sequel that I like better than the first one. Aliens. I like Alien better. Oh, sir, we're gonna disagree on that. We we have already had this argument. Godfather Part Two. I like Part One better. Uh, and I, dude, I re- I completely realized that like the entire world disagrees with me on this, but I don't know. There's something really charming about that first movie that it, The Dark Knight. Oh yeah, yeah, that one's better. That's way better. Uh, oh, and Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two is way better than Part One. I'm gonna punch you in the face. Okay, anyway, the the costume and every like in part 1, you don't really get an idea that it's I, I wouldn't have known it was in the future. I just would have thought it was in fucking Australia unless it has like a I think it's got a in the near future or it's got some little title thing at the end that, uh, in the beginning that tells you that it's it's in the future. Outside of that, you couldn't really tell. Like things are decayed and it's like super outlawed, but there's still families, there's still stores. They go get an ice cream. But probably the craziest outfit is is Mad Max in the first movie when he gets in his police outfit that's all leather. So was he a cop? Yeah, he's a cop, and that's the best part. If you're gonna watch Mad Max, like, oh man, the, the beginning is great. Like it starts off, he's putting on his leather cop outfit, and all these other cops are just fucking up catching uh, the Night Rider, and it's it's a pretty good chase scene. It's got some really cool uh, car crashes. So what was the story of Mad Max? Well, no, he kills the Knight Rider, and then this gang shows up. One of the cops that's not Mad Max, his partner, this goose guy, he ends up arresting one of the members, Johnny Boy. He gets locked up, and then they let him go because none of the witnesses show up. And they end up killing this goose guy, and Mel Gibson's character is like, you know what, I'm out. If I stay out there, I'm going to go crazy like everybody else. So he takes his wife and his kid, and they leave, and they end up running into the bike gang again. But it's never, ever brought up that the bike gang knows that he's the cop that killed Knight Rider. It ends up happening as this bike gang ends up killing his wife and his, uh, his kid. His kid dies, and then his wife is in a hospital bed, and they mention she's hurt, and she'll probably never wake up. But we never see her die. And that's, that's it. We never see the wife again after that point in the entire franchise. That, that is it. Don't know if she's dead. Don't know if she's still hooked up to that bed. You just kind of drop it. And then he just goes and he kills everybody. So it's sort of a revenge Death Wish movie. Well, you say that, okay, but like that whole story I told you, like <laughs> the part where his wife dies, like there's only 15 minutes left, maybe 20 minutes of the movie left after that point. When you think of Mad Max, you're thinking of the last 15 minutes of the movie. And it's 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 kind of slow so moving. So is it set in the uh, desert like this one? No, no. I mean, there's they're 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 around trees and lakes. And so so basically, he took a character from a movie and just put it in a completely new world. Well, I, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, because this one is a definite like like a nuclear holocaust look to it. Like it's been the Earth has been scorched. And it's an interesting like 
progression from what I'm hearing from the first one to the second one. Well, I like, think do you remember he had more seeing, money. Do you remember seeing Mad Max first and then seeing Road Warrior and thinking, whoa, this is different? No, I saw you Road, see Warrior. Road Warrior first. Well, I actually saw them all in backwards. I saw Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome on HBO, and then I saw The Road Warrior a couple years later on TBS. I caught Mad Max a couple years later. Maybe that's the reason you 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 have a lack of love for Mad Max. It's not a, it's not a terrible movie. It's got a lot of cool you know camera tricks to it. And dude, I barely they remember spent their money. I remember Tina Turner and thinking this is retarded. And there's a dome and a motorcycle. That's literally what I remember. I love that Tina Turner song, man. We don't need another hero. I'm sorry, I shouldn't sing. But yeah, no, I mean. I have a special place in my heart for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome because I saw it when I was a kid and I was a stupid kid and I was like, this is awesome. My God, this is so great. This movie is awesome. Do you know if, um, okay, so Warner Brothers bought The Road Warrior. They yeah. put it out. Huge success. Yeah. Um, was Thunderdome their attempt to cash in on that success? Did they produce Thunderdome? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Thunderdome had a lot of money behind it. I mean, it was even, all the Mad Max films, even this new one are rated R with the exception of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And that's even that's the one where they have they even have the kids in it where he stumbles across like the the village of kids. They're in an oasis in the middle of a fucking desert. And he stumbles across them and that's how he ends up like surviving after being destroyed in the Thunderdome. Well, he didn't get destroyed, but he gets whatever. He gets kicked out of Barda town. They try to do like an in-chase scene, but it's just not the Road Warrior. Like you miss that brutality that the Road Warrior brings. Like this movie, it's not super violent. I, I mean, don't we're not talking Saw here, but yeah, no, but it's it's it has that ability to make you cringe. Yeah, it's not a PG thirteen modern. I mean, when that film. when that boomerang implants in what I thought was an ugly woman's head, yeah, it makes you cringe because I mean, again, it's not CGI. It looks like it happened. Well, I also like it too. Like, like after like he gets stuck in his head, like the Wes character, who's played by uh, Vernon Wells from Commando fame, uh, he takes a boomerang out, throws it at the kid, let off some steam, bit it. <laughs> yes, he was in Commando, the greatest movie ever made. Not really, but man, it's a fun movie to watch. So Wes picks up that boomerang and he throws it back to the kid. The kid throws it again, and then that the announcer guy for Lord Humongous, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna catch this boomerang." Totally forgetting it just landed in some dude's head. And he reaches up with his bare hand. Now, when the kid catches it, he's got a glove. When this guy catches it, his fingers get whacked off. For some reason, I totally remembered that backwards. I thought the kid threw it. It cut the guy's fingers off. He comes back, he catches it. And then he threw it again and it implanted in dude's head. Mohawk guy pulled it out and just tossed it away. No, that's why everybody was laughing at him. I love that moment because, like, he gets his fingers cut off, and you're like, "Oh fuck!" But all the all his gang members there are just like, "You dumbass!" And they're all telling him no, not to catch it, and he's still catching it. And they're like, "No, don't do it!" Yeah, I knew they. I remember them yelling, "No!" Yeah, and then he, he gets his fingers. It's cut amazing off. that my brain just like reversed those scenes. They're giving him such shit, like you would do for you know your friend. You're like, "God, you're a dumbass! Why would you do that?" And he just starts kind of. He's so crazy, he starts laughing. He's like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of dumb, man. It doesn't feel the pain at all, obviously. Well, you know, you don't want to cry in front of your brothers, man, you know? Click on it! Click on it! Go for it!
No more games. No more games. I mean, these guys, these guys were a little hardcore. Like, again, like, we can't do a movie without a rape scene in it because it's just not the movie crew podcast unless we bring up rape. There's a scene, and we got to talk about the wide shots too, but I'll get to that in a minute. There's the scene before Max uh, even gets to these people. He's got the gyro captain being guarded by his dog, and they're on top of this hilltop, and they're just kind of they're just watching and seeing how uh, everything plays out with, with this environment. These wide shots are really cool too. They're all done at dusk. I said I was going to do it later, but just, we'll just fuck that. We're just, we'll just go into it. These wide shots are amazing. You can see Max and the gyro captain. They're just sitting in the frame, and you see this compound way in the distance. Just all this dust from these vehicles. It, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shots. And they're not composite shots. And, like, man, the cinematographer must have been busting his ass to get that shit. Oh, yeah. That, the wide shots are amazing. Yeah, it's it's a really horrendous like scene. It's it's like the first scene that you can actually differentiate like uh, Max from these bad guys and the gyro captain. We can actually get a sense that they're not they're not the worst people in the world because they're watching this compound and a bunch of vehicles leave. And the minute they leave, all of Lord Humongous's gang starts just going right after them. And of course, they catch up with all of them. But one is like right behind the cliff, and they can see it. And they start looking at the binoculars, and the you know the guys come up to get the people out of the car, and there's a woman with them. And it just it's this great reaction shot with the gyro captain just looking through the binoculars, just looking through there. And then he re- when he realizes what's happening, just his face, that horrific look he has on his face, it's like oh my god, that is the worst thing in the world. And then you know Mel goes down there, kills him, and. Brings a, that's how he gets into the compound. He brings this guy that got ran off the road. He ends up bringing him into the compound, and that's that's how he gets his in with those people. Uh, what year did uh, Escape from New York come out? That was uh, that was eighty one. My same year. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I was gonna ask if uh, if you thought it influenced this at all, but no, they were kind of made at the same time. That's weird. Sort of this weird. Why were people so afraid of punks? Well, it was just a, I don't, I, well, I think the first movie to ever, like, the first movie with, like, the theme gangs that I can remember was the, was probably the Warriors. I mean, there may be one before that, but I remember that was probably the most famous one. And that took place in kind of a weird future version of New York. I think that one kind of started, oh, well, I guess if people that are listening to this are probably like, you fucking moron, you forgot about Clockwork Orange. I guess Clockwork Orange was actually the, the very first one that I can remember. Because uh, they would dress up, and they, they had their different gangs, like Alex in that film, Malcolm McDowell's character. He's got that weird cod you know, piece and but, the hat. Yeah, but like that one didn't catch me off. Like That one wasn't this apocalyptic desert world where people have red dyed hair and mohawks. and I think they were going for more of like a prison tribal look, where Wes, like, yeah, he's, got, he's still got his mohawk and everything, but he actually puts on war paint. Yeah. And he's sitting on the fire, and he's getting his hair cut in another scene, and it's being it's done in a very stylistical ritual. You can tell, like, yes, I'm gonna sit down and get my head shaved today. I don't know. I just always just I just accepted it and never ever once questioned it when I watch any of these movies. Same with Escape from New York. I don't question it. It's just like, no, that's just the world they well, live I'm just, in. I'm just questioning now, like, where that idea came from. That I that I don't know. I don't know why they they went with that that aesthetic. Although Escape from New York does, it's more than just punk. They have like you know, yeah. it's got a, it's got different vibe going to it. But this is, 
this is just kind of an SMN punk look. No, yeah, and I wonder why people assumed that the guy that was behind him was his boyfriend. Well, that's how that's how I always took it. Well, I would too. He's wearing ashless chaps. Yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know. It's like in a prison environment. I guess you need to get what you can get when you get it. And maybe that's just who he fell in love with. Well, they, I mean, well, yeah, but they, but they also show like you hear a lot of things where people think like the whole gang is homosexual. And that can't be true because there's like a scene where like a guy and a girl uh, are doing it in the middle of an action scene. Well maybe uh, it may, they rape a girl. It does sort of come across like it's sort of a bisexual gang. Well, yeah. Well, it's even Humongous is wearing nothing but a like a g-string. Like in like in the rape scene, like some of the dudes are into it, and then some of them don't touch that chick at all. They don't even mess with her. And now they're over like, there beating up that dude. Yeah, you know. So it's like I don't. I don't know. I I think people like read like a little bit too much into that. But have you ever read anything George Miller said about if he intended any of that sexual ambiguity or? Yeah, I mean, I've never read anything about that really. Where he's come this out is and the same anything. guy that made Babe, the pig movie. Yeah, he wrote he wrote and produced Babe. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Which I love Babe, by the way, dude. Like that is one. Like my kids put that in. I'll sit down. I get sucked into it, man. I'll have to watch it again. Oh, James Cromwell. You're killing it for me, son. You're killing it. I love you. Keep it up. Make L.A. Confidential 2. Oh, wait, you died in that. Damn. Spoiler. Yeah, but he did do Babe. He did Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2. But some people, now this is, it's interesting to bring that up because like a lot of people have looked at Happy Feet as like, hey, look, if you're raising a homosexual child, maybe give them some space and let them be their own person. Really? Yeah, a lot of people have looked in as happy feet as like a metaphor for parenting a homosexual child. I completely missed that talk. Yeah, yeah, it was I like... I thought it was about penguins that like to dance. It's a metaphor, bro. It's a metaphor. Happy feet? I don't know if that's like his fans or, or what. Yeah, that's just something that comes out in his writing that... All the power pick to up on. I'm a fan of most of his work. I did not care. He did The Witches of Eastwick. That's not the biggest fan of that. And he did uh, Lorenzo's Oil as well. That's, you know. I liked it better when he was doing the action movies where people were blowing up. And uh, he can make a pig movie every now and again. He did do the sequel, which Roger Ebert uh, called the best movie of that year. I highly recommend. If you're going to read a Roger Ebert review, read the review for Babe, Pig in the City. It will make you want to see that film. It's like, man, wow, I'm I'm reading a review of a movie that's pure cinematic gold. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got a real glowing review. And if you want to read something funny, read the review of North, which, just read that review. It's fucking hilarious. He rips that movie a new ass. Always liked it, like when they're on that hilltop section, and they're waiting to get in for the perfect moment to get in the compound. They're fighting over the dog food. Mel throws the dog food to the dog. I like how... Bruce Spence gets out his wooden spoon to eat. Like he's like he's such a civilized man. And then afterwards, I don't know what happens to his spoon, but you see him later, and he's like just digging into that dog food, man. Like it's delicious. And he's got that napkin that he bust out. Like there for a second, I thought he was gonna try to hit the dog with the spoon, <laughs> and then then I saw that no, he's waiting to eat. No, I, yeah, he was he was pretty afraid of that dog. It's like a little bitty dog. Oh man, I, it looked it looked vicious, man, when it was growling at him. Now, this is something I've always noticed in the film that I always thought was kind of weird. And you know, it was hilarious because you pointed it out right away when we were watching it. It's when Wes finally breaks into the compound when Max brings the huge truck back, the 18-wheeler. He's, he's bringing it back in the compound. Wes gets on. 
and he starts, you know, ordering whatever goons he has left to, to, you know, get the barricade. And then there's this guy that's just kind of like sitting there fumbling with an arrow. And he's like, I'm, I may shoot you if I ever get this fucking arrow to work. And then Wes like does this crazy somersault flip over him for whatever reason and then headbutts him. And but it flash frames. Exactly. And I have never, I listened to the commentary. I, w- I was trying to find something about why that is in that movie. And I just, it's such, it's so out of left field. And it never happens again in the movie. The only thing I can assume is that he's mimicking the, like, what you experience when you get a, a hard headbutt or hard hit to the head, how everything kind of flashes for a second. That's or, the only thing I can figure, or it just looks stupid, and yeah. they put a flash frame in to make it... To stitch two takes together? Show that he did not not hit him. That's the only part of the movie where, like, I don't know, it, it seems a little, seems chintzy. There was too, I, I didn't I like know. the flip, either. His little, like... Sudden gymnastics move. Oh, you didn't you didn't like his uh he, like he flips and like does a twirl or something. He's like a fucking ice skating dancer. All of a sudden, that seemed out of place. It yeah, it was. Well, I was a kid, I loved it, but as an adult, it's just kind of like why don't you just run up and punch him and jump away? That and the um the random like look at someone stand, and then before you get away to save your life, you go <sighs> and then you jump. There is a lot of hissing in this movie. I, I never understood that either. Like, why like, give them the chance to shoot you just so you can hiss? There's the the girl that gets raped and the guy that Mad Max brings back to the compound. Now, everybody else that ran off, everybody else gets captured. And for the entire fucking movie, these guys are mounted on the hoods of cars for the entire film. Yeah, I was assuming pretty much at the end of it, they were just corpses there for show <laughs> they get smashed at the end where like max like he's in this he's in the 18 wheeler at the end <laughs> and the uh, vehicle behind him's got like two of the guys strapped to it and the ve- it just runs right into the back of the taker and those guys just get their face fucking smashed oh yeah they are as my kids would say pancakes yeah if they weren't dead before they're definitely dead now. Well, you know, as long as they were tied to the front of those cars, it was like three days. I'm pretty sure they were ready to be dead. No, I did. I like the, the little music box scene was cool. That's kind of the kid's first step toward, um, I guess, being trained as a human. It actually made me question the good guys a little bit as to how could this kid have grown up around them or even live there with them and be so feral? Are they are they that? Oh, I think they just the way I read it because he doesn't he doesn't hang out with anybody else is that they must have found him after something traumatic already happened. Yeah, but it doesn't look like anyone's trying to like work with him. He seems like he's doing all right, and then he seems extremely grateful that Mad Max gives him the little music box. Well, dude, that blows his fucking mind. Well, yeah, he does that like little uh, that crazy uh, crazy laugh. Yeah, it's a, it's a great little character. Well, he, uh, man, he he shows up at the uh, the end of the movie too. He ends up stowing away on the. Oh yeah, uh, he totally turns truck. into little Robin there. All all of the bullets for Max's uh, sawed-off shotgun, they all go out the window. But this one, and I like Max is still kind of still a dick. Where he's like, "Hey, little kid." 
go out there and get my fucking bullet. <laughs> he, well, he's not he bargaining. He get it. He, he knows he needs it to get the guy off his shoulder. Which that didn't end up mattering. Because I, I did think that Wes popping up right there at the end was a little cheesy. Uh, you know, it was that's like so I, I 80s. I almost want to watch it again and see if there's a wide shot of the truck that shows the front empty and then suddenly he's there. I'm sure it's not, but... I don't know. Maybe. I don't... Yeah. I don't know. I've never looked for that. I guess that scene is so... It's like so action-packed. Like, that's... That's the end climax in this film. The last 18 minutes or whatever it is. If you like like, uh, car action and chase scenes and crashes... Oh, you've probably already seen this, so there's no point in me telling you to watch it. Yeah, it's like the motorized version of the Wild Wild West. They still have the arrows, <laughs> you know? It's just, we've just replaced the horse and carriage with the giant transfer truck. I am gravely disappointed. Again, you have made me unleash my dogs of war. Look at what remains of your gallant scouts. Why? Because you're selfish. Hold your gasoline. You will not listen to reason. Now, my prisoners say, you plan to take your gasoline out of the wasteland. You send them out this morning to find a vehicle. A rig big enough to hold that fat tank of gas. Now, Lord Humongous does give them a chance. He tells them, just walk away. Walk away and nobody will get hurt. And they also said that they don't believe him and that they will kill him as soon as they leave the which Mel Gibson has already seen that happen. Yeah, but he does he does he he tells them and then he gives them a day. He says, I'm gonna give you guys a day to think about it. And he does give them a day to think about it. And then when Max comes back with that truck, he's like, Alright, you disobeyed me. Now I'm gonna crucify some dudes. I'm just saying maybe they could have left right then and there. I mean, you know, Lord Humongous doesn't seem like he's But they wanted to go to the paradise. <laughs> They had the brochures, man. The brochures. <laughs> Have you never gone into a travel agent, saw the brochures, and went, I gotta go. I got to go. You know Mad Max the entire movie is just sitting there like, you guys are delusional fucking assholes. It would have been hilarious to have like an end credit sequence full of Marvel, and they're all on the beach, and like, Max should have come. Waiters. The waiters coming out, bringing out the pina colada. Uh, can you put some more rum in this next time, please? Thank you. And other two, we didn't talk about that this tanker truck is not just a tanker truck. Like, it is armed. There's, like, some dudes, and they they do a makeshift And honestly, forts. I thought they were going to um, blow it up. Like, the dude catches on fire on top of the tanker truck. And, of course, this is before I know that it's full of dirt. Yeah, yeah, I remember you saying that. And I was like, oh, this guy's brilliant. You're on fire on top of a ga- truck full of gasoline. What were your final thoughts, Benson? What did, what did you think? Would you recommend this? Uh, of course. I, you know, it's it's one of those classic movies. Rather, you, you've either seen it or you've heard about it. And anytime there's a movie that's like that, if you that you've heard like people talking about, and you should see it. Will it replace like Raiders of the Lost Ark as one of my favorite action? No, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was better than I remembered it. Uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, easy to put yourself there in that world. Yeah, I, you know, just finding out like they shot it in order and everything. I can't believe it turned out as good as it did. I mean, it's, it's got some some holes, but what? What holes? 
What are you talking about, Benson? Why does Mad Max drive straight towards where the bad guys are camping? I've already brought this up. <sighs> to piss him off, dude. Come on. Well, it didn't work very well. <laughs> His plan was bad. He was he was getting them all riled up. And but he was no, like, I thought I'm going to take you out with my... I thought it was a good movie. What your this is your uh your baby here. You 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 talk, you, I, 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 you send I us like off this. in the in the sunset with your last final thoughts on Road Warrior. Uh if you like action movies, you like uh you like vehicles going fast, cars, trucks. Oh my. I mean, this has got it all. I think um it's a it's a good story. It's uh, very simple, very like Shane Western Kurosawa samurai film. Very easy to follow, nothing complicated. But man, just done so well. You know, sometimes you can just take a really simple story and just make it fucking awesome with how you execute it and how you how you put it on screen. Some of the shots in this movie are just fucking unreal, and the the stunts. I I'm I. Don't know how they got some of these stuff. I know quite a couple people got hurt on it, but um, you know nobody died, and that that's, that's a, a good thing. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. It introduced us the world to superstar Mel Gibson before he went crazy and turned into a raging asshole. Um, you know, and shit, man, he's still got charisma, man. And you know, I'm not gonna let personal feelings for someone's personal life get in the way of my enjoyment for this movie. Like, fuck that. Like, I love this film. It doesn't take me out of... It, I don't know. Maybe it does take me out of watching it sometimes. I don't know. I'm pretty good about... Because I was watching it like, Max is a dick. While He's I'm, a dick. While I'm watching the movie, it's pretty much, that's Mad Max. That's not Mel Gibson. It's still, it's, then after the movie, it's when it's like, oh, that was Mel Gibson, the guy that said some pretty horrific shit while he was drunk. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from what George Miller did with the film stamped out its place in cinema history. If you're a movie buff, I don't see why you wouldn't watch it. Yeah. No, I I'm yeah, I'm really excited to see what George uh George Miller does for well, Mad Max I, Fury I Road. He, I hope he satisfies all of your inner child's eagerness to see another Mad Max film. Oh, and we will be doing a podcast on that. Uh we're gonna try to go see it opening weekend or maybe Thursday and we'll uh we'll put the podcast up as soon as we can. Um, so look forward to that. All right, so that's going to do it for us this evening. You can get in touch with us through email at themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's our email address. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E at gmail.com. And we also have a voicemail line. That number is 323-539-8661. Call that in. We'll play your voicemail on air. You can also find us uh, on iTunes and Stitcher. If you find us on iTunes, please go to iTunes and give us a rating because, you know, that's how people find out about the show here. So with that in mind, I'm going to leave you guys with... I know we're going to go... We're going to do a track here from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I know we're talking mostly about the Road Warrior, but, man, it's just a... It's a 80s classic. It's just gold. I love this song. It's stuck in my head all the time. This is Tina Turner's We Don't Need Another Hero from the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome soundtrack. Enjoy.
Building the 